0: Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 100 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. There's just something special about that number, 100. Today, I'm here with Jody Ayers. Jodi lives in Bloomington, Illinois, and she is a second-grade teacher. She has been in second grade for 24 years and has taught for 27 years. And so welcome, Jodi.
1: Hi, Jen. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Episode 100. Isn't that
1: exciting? Feels like we should be doing something special. Like the hundred day of school. Hey, we can <laughs> we can count things and put them in piles of a hundred. Maybe that's why a hundred
0: is so special, because Jody gets it and probably a lot of parents have had kids that have gone through the hundredth day of school and the schools all celebrate it, but it really is a big deal in an elementary school, the one hundredth day of school.
1: Well, I teach second grade, and my second graders always say they do 100. They definitely do it in the pre-K, and they do it for sure in kindergarten. But in first grade, they do the 101 day, and they watch 101 Dalmatians. And then so my second graders always say, do we do 102 day? I said, nope, we're done with that. You guys already learned how to count a long time ago.
0: We just keep on going. I can't remember which grade it was. Maybe the first grade team, they would always dress up like they were 100 years old. So they would. that was always fun. So everybody, and the kids would come to school like they were 100 years old, and it was just really cute.
1: Yeah. Well, they I know in kindergarten, they have to bring, they just put a bunch of stuff in a bag that they can count out in 100, and then they put it all together, and I don't know, they play all kinds of 100 games. But we well, don't here do we that. are
0: in the 100th episode of Intermittent Fasting Stories. <laughs> That'll just have to do. So, Jody, great to talk to you. And you know I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting, and when was that?
1: Well, I have been intermittent fasting for just over a year now. My anniversary date of starting officially was February 4th, and this is the end of March. So we're we're about 13 and a half, almost 14 months in. And the long story part of it is that my daughter had read your book, had read Jason Fung's book, and was totally into this new lifestyle, probably about the mid in 2018, and so I was watching her and I was watching her lose weight. And she at that time was probably 28 years old and wanted to get in shape and lose some weight. And I was very skeptical at first. I said, Oh, you you're starving yourself. You can't do that. <laughs> and then I was also just amazed that when we'd get together for dinner, she said, No, my window, I opened my window today at four, so I can eat anything I want. And I said, Really? And so then I was looking at it with my glasses of speculation, like, really, you can do that? And I said, so when are you going to close your window? So I asked her a lot of these questions. And she said, maybe this is something you should try, Mom. And I said, no, I could never do that. How can I go without eating all day long? So I really did watch her for a while. And my backstory of how I always wanted to lose weight. I think that I've been in that range of always wanting to lose the extra 20 pounds. And probably my entire adult life, there are times that I would hit a goal weight, but it would always creep back up. So... I was never probably in the obese category, but for the most part, I think my entire life I've been saying, Oh, if I could just lose twenty pounds, I'd be happier, you know. Right.
0: So you've always been just slightly overweight, but not
1: yeah. I remember one time and I go I guess it was a doctor's terminology, but one time and I probably was in my early twenties and they said, Well, if you could just get control of the obese problem. And I, you know, I was very offended by that doctor. And I said, Really? He put me in the obese category. And I really wasn't. I mean I I've never looked at the scales as far—I mean, the ranges of where the cutoff is of overweight to obese. But anyway, I've always had that image thing of, oh, I just want to be thinner. I want to lose the weight, and I always did the yo-yo dieting. I probably wasn't like you, where I tried every diet in the world. I found out in the last year I did Weight Watchers and became a lifetime member, and I—I I pretty much kept it off. That was probably about 12 years ago, and for about two years. I went to meetings. I did the counting. I think they counted points back in those days, but it wasn't sustainable because, you know, the weight would creep right back up. And I could, I probably stayed in a good weight range for my height. I'm 5'3". And at that point, I was in my, I'm 50, almost 59 now, so... You know, if it was 10 or 12 years ago, I was in my late 40s, you know, felt good about myself. But even when I look at myself now, I think I have changed body size, really. Body recomposition is truly an amazing thing because I say, oh, I would never have worn this size what I wear now, even back then when I was even 10 pounds lighter. See, that's the
0: part that is amazing and people don't understand it. They're like, well, how how could I be building muscle and losing fat when I'm not doing any, I'm not going to the gym, I'm not pumping iron, I'm not. But think about our bodies. The gym is only a recent construct, you know, going to the gym to build muscles and purposefully doing lifting barbells or, you know, using the machines. But think about babies and toddlers and kids. They grow muscle just by living their life. So the same is true for me. I mean, I don't weigh. I I don't know what I weigh right now. But the last time I weighed, I know what it said. Of course, that was like, what was that, 2017? (laughs) I haven't weighed in a while. But at the time, I was fitting into clothes that the clothes were loose on me that had fit me at a lower weight. And these are the exact same clothes. It's not just vanity sizing. So we really do build muscle just living our daily lives in a way, just because of the increased human growth hormone. And people really have a hard time with that. They're like, but you can't build muscle unless you're pumping iron. Well, yeah, you can.
1: Yeah. And I think I just heard, I think it was on yours and Melanie's broadcast. I don't know. I was listening to a podcast recently and People that say, Oh, I haven't lost any weight on the scale and I you said something profound that how do you know you're not losing weight internally and some of that fatty liver and it's like, Wow, that's true. How do I know that and that's where the body recomposition comes in because I say, Wow, the inches are gone and yet my scale hasn't showed a big decrease, certainly in recent months. I lost weight initially and and have been mostly in maintenance, I'd say, the last six months.
0: So when did you actually start? So you were watching your daughter, and she was she was doing it. So when was this? When was this happening? Your daughter started in
1: 2018? She started in 2018, did all the research. She was the one that really read all the books and did everything. And she kept on saying, you need to read this girl. Her name is Jen Stevens. And <laughs> she's actually a lady. You need to read her book. And the funny thing is, I do not read. And so for her to say, you need to read a book, I thought, oh man, that would take some effort. Uh-oh, second grade teacher, don't tell me. I, <laughs> I know.
0: We don't have time to read. We're busy doing other things. I get it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll read a book. If it's a really interesting book, I really will read. But I'm not one of these, you know, there's a book on my bedside every day to read. So she said, I'll get you the book. You need to read it. And so I said, oh, okay. And I still was very, I don't think I can do that. But yet she was watching me. I was saying, oh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start my low, cal, low carb diet. The typical, the way that in recent years I've lost weight is just to really limit my carbs. And I would be sustainable for about, month and maybe I'd lose 10 pounds and then I went right back to gaining it back. So she just knew that I wanted to do something and I watched her. So for Christmas that year, this is 2018, she gave me Delay Don't Deny. And it was one of my presents, and she said, "Now you can read the book, Mom." <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "I said, okay." And of course, I'm supposed to read it over Christmas break, and maybe start on January 1st, like the rest of the world does. But I didn't never got around to reading it. And I do remember. I think I even tried fasting like for a few days. And then I would be texting her and saying, now, what am I supposed to do? And she said, don't start anything until you read the book. (laughs) And so she was very persistent that I would follow the program and read the book. And I was, you know, I would text her. I'd say, well, all I've had today is mineral water. You know, it's the lemon kind or the lime kind. And she said, nope, it doesn't work. You got to read the book. You got (laughs) to- Stop, stop, mom, read the book. You got to read the book. (laughs) So I, you know, I tease her now that she really was the one that made me get into it the right way and that I wanted to hear what you had to say with the scientific side behind it. And those people out there that haven't read the book, you have to because you've made it so easy to understand. Here's a funny story.
0: You know how they have all those summary books, like the summary of the obesity code that you can buy or the summary of you know every book? There's now a summary of Delay do tonight. <laughs> it just popped up this week, which is I've been waiting for it because they do it for all books. But I'm like... You know, my my original book is pretty short and easy to read. I'm not really sure we need a summary of Delay, Don't Deny. I feel like I would probably not read that, listeners.
1: (laughs) It was so much at my level. I just went, oh, this makes so much sense. I think your very first line is, diets work and they don't work. Isn't that one of your lines in there? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and and they they do work. work. They all work. Every diet works, but we don't like find long-term success with them. Yeah, exactly. So it just made a lot of sense. And I finally, finally got around to reading it by the end of January. And so my start date then was February 4th. February 4th. That's right. It's your 14 months in. Yeah. So, yep. And I would say that I, because I had watched her, I didn't follow the, you know, start out slowly with the 16 hour, you know, a longer window, maybe eat lunch and then eat dinner and have this afternoon window. I was full fledged into it from right from the beginning. And you know there's there's people that that works really well for and I would encourage anybody who feels
0: like they they can if that's your style in my new book Fast Feast Repeat which is available as of the release date of this podcast although while we're recording it we're still waiting for it on pre-order but in that book I have a 28-day fast start where you can choose how you would like to start and there are different protocols for easing in or jumping right in, the rip off the band-aid approach. you know for some people, jump right in. And if you realize, oh, that was more ambitious than my body's ready for, you can scale back.
1: But you know you know your your type. so I love that you jumped right in. I did jump right in. And because I teach, I was not around food all day long. So I went to school that day with several cans of LaCroix or mineral water, you know, unflavored. in the blue can, yeah. in the blue can, yes, drinking some right now. Anyway, and so it just would drink at my and I always had water at my desk anyway, but I but now I'm drinking water all day long. When it came to lunchtime, I just didn't eat lunch, you know, and I thought, oh, I can do this. And I would say those first, maybe the first week, to two weeks, I needed to get acclimated. My body needed to get adjusted. And I was kind of cranky. I think I was even cranky with my class. And I'm usually very nice <laughs> I usually was very nice teacher. But that day I was, oh, you know, stop it, you guys. And so then, but I was famished by four o'clock and I didn't get home from school until maybe four thirty or five. And then I was ready to eat a regular meal with my family and felt good about it. And then i closed my window, I was done eating and started the day the next day in that cycle.
0: It really works well for teachers. Let me just pop in with that because sometimes we'll have people start and they'll they'll be in the the Facebook group and they're like I'm a teacher, or, how am I going to possibly make it through the day without fueling myself? I'm like and yeah, like like you just said Jody, the first couple weeks as your body adjusts can be difficult, but there was something so freeing about not having to drag lunch or snacks or everything to school. And then you also find it frees up your day. During your lunch break, you can do something else.
1: Mm-hmm. From my friend's point of view, my co-workers, they saw the pattern of me not coming to the teacher's lounge for lunch anymore. And they were like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not coming to be with us? So I feel like that was my own, that was my choice because I, I really did get a lot done. And I still do get a lot done during that lunch break. Keep working at my desk, grading papers or whatever. But it does, you have to be intentional about still making sure that you go and visit with your coworkers because teaching is kind of a solitary job. You're with your kids all day long, your class, and you don't have a lot of adult interaction consistently, you know, like you would in an office where you're with adults all day long. So I do miss the teacher time, but I just have to be, and they understand. Everybody knows I do this now. So if I just sat drinking my water, they would understand and support me in that. Yeah, and I would make decisions
0: based on, it was different for different school years. Like some school years, it just depended on, my classroom was on the third grade hall, and I had been a third grade teacher at that school before I was the gifted teacher. And so for a few years, my lunch time was synced up with the third grade lunchtime. So I would go sit in there and while they ate and hang out with them. I enjoyed the camaraderie. But then their lunchtime got to be at a different time than mine. And some days I had a different some years I had a different lunchtime every day based on my my gifted kids' regular lunch schedule. So that was when I just started working through lunch. The camaraderie part, I get it. Cause I really, once I could no longer enjoy that lunchtime even just sitting with them, I did feel a little Little lonely. Teachers, it's hard to, you put it really well. It is a little lonely because you feel like you're trapped in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you do see, I mean, if you have recess duty and, you know, that's when I would see other teachers and certainly at teacher meetings and stuff. But I felt like, yeah, I do need to make sure that I Get to know even the new teachers on staff this year because I haven't been in the teacher room to talk to them, you know. Right. So, the first couple of weeks, you were a little cranky, but after that. Yep, I got adjusted pretty much right away and started to see progress, which I was very happy. My loss probably in the first, I wrote it down as I mean, I would keep track of my weight and I wouldn't weigh myself every day, but I wanted to see the progress. So, in about a five week period, I had lost nearly 10 pounds. And I said, oh, good. And at that
0: point, did you, were you still, I know you mentioned earlier that you wanted to lose about 20 earlier in your life, but was that still where you were at this point, about 20 to lose? No, I wanted to lose
1: about 40. Okay, just checking. (laughs) I had gotten to the weight, and this is always the magical weight that I would get to, and even beyond it, maybe by three or four pounds, but I have three children, grown adults, and I always got to 164 pounds when I was going to, when I went into labor, that was the day, you know, it's like, Oh, I reached my, my nine month pregnancy weight and every single one of them, I was the same weight. That's so funny.
0: I was 163 pounds with my first son.
1: That's just, (laughs)
0: and someone just talked about that on a podcast that I just recorded last week. So that's funny, that number, but it sticks in your head. We, we remember those milestone weights. When, and then when you find yourself not pregnant and you're like, "Ooh, I at my pregnancy,
1: weight." Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. I would say that. I said that to my husband. I would say, oh, man, I'm weighing exactly what I weighed nine months pregnant. And look at me. I'm not. <laughs> there's no baby, you know. And again, you know, this is 20, 25, 26 years later. My youngest is just 26 now. So you know there's no no reason i should be weighing that i probably would be one that people wouldn't know that i weighed that much because i wear black all the time just my figure type i have a naturally small waist so that always was to my benefit they would say well maybe the belly was there but the waistline still was there and you learn to hide it well <laughs> You have a lot of black pants and different sizes and the styles, the longer blousey things could hide it, you know. Empire waist, that was my trick.
0: I still had a smaller, kind of like a rib cage. Well, I really didn't because I weighed 210 pounds, but that was the smallest point. So I would wear things that emphasized that. Oh, yeah, lots of lots of drapey clothes.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, I was seeing progress in the first month of, I'd say, 10 pounds. From February to May, which would be three months in, I was nearly 20 pounds of lost weight. And finally, this is when people are saying, oh, you're losing weight. And I'd say, yeah, I'm doing intermittent fasting. And, you know, you get mixed reactions. But my husband was a great encourager. He totally loved it because the kind of diets that he was used to me being on was, where can we go to eat tonight? And I'd say, well, I have to get a salad or I have to get a piece of meat, you know? And so I was limited with going to pasta or pizza or because I could never eat carbs. You know, that was the only way that I was or able like, to Or like, did you it. ever just eat the toppings off the pizza? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I, was I me. Do that.
0: Yeah. I'm just eating the toppings off the pizza this week. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I need five pieces of pizza so I can eat the toppings off. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. Crazy. <laughs>
1: So I was encouraged. I, oh, I did measurements too. I started with taking my measurements maybe about three weeks in, not from the very first day, but overall I was losing inches. And I do have a question about about measurements because I measured everything, you know, so you say, okay, I'm going to measure my right thigh and I'm going to my right calf and, and then you would take the, write the measurement down. So my theory on measuring is that I would just say, okay, I'm going to measure all these things and make a really big number and add them all together. So I'd start out with this really big number. This is, this is my waist. This is my belly. This is my hips. And then, then a month later when I would take my measurements again, I would take those individual parts and say, oh, I went down two inches in that. Is that the way to do it? do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, it's really up to you. There's no right way. You hear people, you know, they'll say, I've lost a total of 19 inches because that's adding all the parts together. So really, there's no right or wrong way. It's just a matter of of tracking what you want to track and the, the areas you want to. But it is really exciting to add them all up and get a big number.
1: And my, I just looked at my chart today, just preparing for this, and I have lost a total of forty-two and a half inches. Love it. Which again, I didn't measure my big toe, but I measured, you know, big, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, on that big toe, there's one nineteenth of an inch. You know, right. The more areas
0: you measure, the larger your inch loss will be. But that's, it's just, you know, it's motivating. We don't have a
1: standard for that, no. Well, and even with my waist, which again, people would say, oh, you always have, you, you just naturally have a small waist. I lost five and a quarter inches off my waist alone. So the waist just got smaller and I don't have the belly fat or the extra weight or the inches around it. So
0: measuring your waist is really an important one because if you're going to measure nothing else, there's a couple of different ratios that we can use. Like for example, waist to hip is a really good one. Like find your waist measurement, find your hip measurement, find the ratio of that. And then also waist to height ratio and you can go online and read about these and search for them but they can actually show you where you fall on the list of like waist to hip or waist to height ratio. So I had fun doing that and so like in one of them I had like the same ratio as like Beyonce or something. <laughs> and on one of them I had the same ratio as like a female college swimmer. And so that made me feel like super good about myself. So y'all calculate your waist to hip and waist to height ratio and follow those and then Go online and search for where you can compare yourself, but it's a measure of health. You want your waist measurement to go
1: down. Yeah, and I think that I've hit a set weight. There was a point where I pretty much didn't stop losing weight, but it slowed down significantly, and that was probably seven, six or seven months into, you know, from February to about September. I said, oh, I've lost a total of 26 pounds. Now, how much longer? You know, you kind of have this set goal in your mind of, I want to weigh 128 pounds, which is what I weighed the day I got married, you know. And I'm not under 130 yet. I'm close to it, but it's taken a really long time to just lose those last five pounds. And now, have you tried on your wedding dress? Do you still have your wedding dress? Yes, I did do that. And actually, I posted... That was one of my stories on your on I your somehow Facebook. had a
0: feeling. So there there was a photo of you in your
1: wedding dress, right? Uh-huh. And is it too big? Or does it fit or is it big? Oh, it, it fit. I mean, I probably had a smaller waist even then. But truly, I was able to zip it up. And even though I might be four pounds heavier than that day, I was like, wow, I'm... <laughs> I'm wearing my wedding dress, you know, from 1987. (laughs) I have, I
0: got married in 1991 and I have my wedding dress and I was a little chubby when I got married. Looking back, you know, I had just graduated from college. So it was probably a lot of beer going on at that period of time. I don't know. Well, it was a year after I graduated from college. So I don't know. I was a little chubby, but my wedding dress is now huge on me. Like I'm way smaller than I was. I was 21 when I got married, almost 22. And I'm way smaller than I was then, which is a lot of fun. So keep using that wedding dress as your God. That's I love that. Old clothes. You can't get any older than that.
1: <laughs> I have not, you know, that was a that was a fun thing to do. But I had done that my husband and I were married 32 years. And so I had done that periodically, you know, maybe probably in a point where I was thinner. So I'd say, Let me try this on. It's our anniversary, you know. And he always thought that was a fun little thing to see the that I could still fit into it, you know, but anyway, so that's how I found delay. Don't deny. Oh, I did end up, I mean, it started intermittent fasting through your book, which I my daughter made me read. And I did end up listening to, I wanted more of the science part of it. So probably in the early summer months, I listened to Jason Fung's Obesity Code. And I listened to that. And that was very, I loved listening to that. It was a, on a long road trip. And I said, oh, I'm just going to listen to this whole book on audio and have referred a lot of people to listen to, do both things, either listen to Jin's book, read it and read Obesity Obesity code and or listen to it. That kind of got my focus around the science behind it and why it does work for me. I don't think that I was one that was insulin resistant. I think that I just, you know, needed probably to lose. not.
0: You know, the fact that your waist was always small
2: mm-hmm.
0: is a good sign. You know, you just had that stubborn weight gain that so many of us are plagued with. And I'm actually grateful that I became obese and had all the issues with my weight, and was so heavy. Because if I had just been a little overweight, I might have just accepted it and lived with it.
1: Right. I think that my self-image, now my self-image has changed, but my entire adult life, I think that I always looked, or probably teen years going into my adult life, I looked at people as the word cute to me was synonymous with skinny. I would judge people by, oh, well, let me look at their body type. Yep, they're really cute. And it maybe their face was really cute. And my husband always laughed at me. He said, "You really look at people with that image of saying what is their body type like?" And so it was probably a comparison to me of, "Oh, if I could just, I always wanted to make the perfect body, you know. I'd keep my waist. I would trade my legs for hers, and I would grow 2 more inches and <laughs> <laughs> yeah we are our worst critics, aren't we? yeah, and we I was always comparing that, you know, to good looking meant that you were thin, you know, which is warped. It was totally a warped thinking, so I totally get
0: it. so you're you're right now, you want your your goal weight, like you still have in mind one hundred and twenty eight that's like that's the number,
1: yeah, and I don't even know if I'll ever get there. And you know, I'm at the point where I don't really care. I'm so thankful that I have embrace this lifestyle and saying you know what intermittent fasting is for me it's not a yo-yo diet it's what I'm doing and I'm happy with I'm happy that I can keep going to buy clothes and I go down a size (laughs) I say wow I maybe didn't change on the scale in the last six months but I went down another pant size right
0: yeah I've told the story before I went from a size four loft brand jeans to a size zero loft brand jeans and only lost two pounds on the scale
1: right yeah
0: and that's a big that's a big change down, but only two pounds on the scale. So go by those clothing sizes, definitely.
1: Yeah. But part of my story, and this is when I wrote you to say, maybe you want to listen to my, maybe consider me for your podcast. Part of my story involves my husband. And that is one thing that I can say that intermittent fasting through a very difficult period of my life, intermittent fasting was a very stabilizing thing that I really hung on to. And that has to do with David, who was my husband for nearly 32 years. He did pass away in the spring of 2019. And so, like I said, I started intermittent fasting in February and he was going through cancer treatment at the time he had a blood cancer called multiple myeloma and he was diagnosed with that in the very early stages it was back in the summer of 2018 and they had great prognosis they said we'll start treating you with this drug it's an oral chemotherapy and you'll do great and so he started his treatment in the fall of that year and anyway, the intermittent fasting was not anything to do with what he was going through, although I just put it as part of my new lifestyle to lose weight like I always did, you know. And we were handling his treatment pretty well. He had done this oral chemotherapy and He was still working full time and, you know, would just take this pill. But by early January, they said they did a bone marrow biopsy again. And they said, they said, it's not working. We want to try another approach. And so by early March, he was in a immunotherapy program where he would go in weekly and have, it's not chemotherapy, but it's called immunotherapy. And I've learned a lot through, I mean, I'm not at all, a science type medical person but <laughs> when you go through these kind of things you do your research and you say oh what is that you know it's not it's not as hard on the body but yet it's doing something to the immune system is it supposed to like stimulate
0: your immune system to to fight off the
1: cancer yeah. naturally
0: that's what it's doing yeah
1: and there's some wonderful things that it does and that is one of them it does your immune system can be compromised. So he would get sick, like with a bad cold, and, and and then he'd be pretty weak. And And it also, the main thing that had happened, and it was so sad because it was causing him to not have much of an appetite. You know, he had lost some weight, and he didn't need to lose any weight. And he didn't have his taste. He would say it this way. He'd say, my taste buds just aren't right anymore. And so he would eat this food, and he'd say, it tastes like cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd be enjoying my one meal a day and he'd be eating a piece of cardboard. Uh, that's that's got to be really awful to not be able to enjoy your food. I know. So that was sad, but he was he had the greatest attitude about it. He just was upbeat and well, this is what they're telling me to do. Okay, you know, and he just had a and we we pretty much embraced the whole thing. Everybody would say, "Wow, you guys have a really good attitude with this." And most of it was just waiting for the insurance company to say, "Okay, start this next treatment and do this. And so sometimes there'd be waiting periods of, you know, a week or two of of not knowing what new therapy he was going to have. But anyway, so all of that to say that was into the months of March, he was starting this immunotherapy, he would go in weekly to have his Oh, sometimes would be at first it was several hours, but it ended up being about a four hour procedure where they've They just hook you up to an IV machine, and they give you all these drugs for the week, and then you'd have another one the next week. And a wonderful thing, my school was my class. The parents in my class were were so supportive and helpful through this time. They set up a Weekly meal thing on Monday nights, the day he would have his therapy, they would bring me a a meal and I'd say, well, I'm not the one. I know how to cook. (laughs) You know, I'm not the one. And then, no, you'll be under pressure and you need to have, you know, somebody provide a meal for you. And so, and that was just a very, very kind hearted wonderful for the whole spring. I think we had meals coming in on Mondays. And the great thing in that, when people would say, is there any dietary restrictions? And I'd say, well, he doesn't eat very much, but I can eat whatever, you know, <laughs> bring the olive garden. Yeah. No dietary <laughs> restrictions yeah. at all. Yeah. And they would bring home cooked meals and restaurant meals. And it was, it was just really, uh, just a great way that people really ministered to us as far as, you know, showing their kindness through the difficult time we were going through. Anyway, so that took us into Easter time, and they did another bone marrow biopsy, and they said, it's really working. This immunotherapy is doing the numbers or whatever they were looking at. The numbers were going up and going the right way, and so we were very encouraged, and throughout this whole thing, we never had any worries about anything. We just said, well, we'll be on these drugs, and hopefully your appetite will come back, and the goal with the doctor was to get him into a remission so he wouldn't have any anymore. You could live with this for a long time. So all of that, everything was going fine. We had a big Easter meal in, in April, whenever Easter was that year. And then... On April 27th of last year, he took a nosedive, and he was brought to the hospital because he just collapsed in my son's arms, and we called the ambulance. And anyway, what was happening was, I don't know if it was a byproduct of the immunotherapy, but sometimes... It was doing the good things, but it was also affecting his hemoglobin, and so he was suffering from really, really low hemoglobin, which I learned about hemoglobin, if you know what that is. <laughs> you know, the function of hemoglobin is to, to carry oxygen from the lungs to the body's tissues, and you just can't function well. with a re- You're very, very weak when your hemoglobin is really low. And so, anyway, he was in the hospital. They gave him transfusions of blood, and it would get raised. And then they had to do other tests. They were just, he was just going through a gamut of tests. But for about a 25-day period, so from the end of April to the day he died, he was in and out of the hospital, mostly in the hospital. But this is where my intermittent fasting story comes into it. Because through that, I never stopped fasting. I just was like, this is what I do. You know, I would go, I was spending most of my days at the hospital. There was a few days I actually went back to teaching when there was about a week period where they were just saying, oh, we're just buying time. We're just going gonna to make sure he has all these tests. And he was doing fine as far as the energy level was coming back and they were going to release him to go home. And so then I did go back to teaching those that week of early May.
0: Anyway, you were saying that you never stopped fasting and that I mean do you feel
1: like that it that it kind of it helped you get through it, the regularity of the fasting? I I really do. I think that was the fasting for me was a godsend because it was probably the stabilizing thing that kept me. We had a good attitude anyway. I mean, I think the whole time we had a lot of people praying, we had our own faith that we really hung on to, but we did not I did not deviate from the fasting, and I just would drink my water. And sitting in the hospital room, and then sometimes people would bring me a meal. They knew I was doing this, or else I would go to the hospital cafeteria and I'd say, "Well, this is my one meal a day. I'm excited to eat. You know, it's five (laughs) o'clock." So I don't know. I did have people say, "You need to. You better nourish yourself. You better. You're going through a hard time." And maybe because I was three months into it already, I just said, "Well, this is this is how I live. This is the way I live my life, and I'm not going to change it. I just." Felt like I really leaned into it, probably through adversity. I love hearing that, and you're not the first person that has said that. You know, it,
0: it makes me think of you know some of the other stories that have been told on this podcast or in the Facebook groups. And when we face the stressful times, I mean, I cannot imagine how hard this was for you. Although your husband sounds amazing, David sounds like an amazing man, and his positivity and his his great attitude it just shines through. But with this adversity you kept with intermittent fasting and you let it be just kind of a calming force you know instead of turning to food which so many of us also could go that way right we could be like i'm so stressed out i'm just going to turn to food because it's going to soothe me but it really would not
1: yeah i really think that i just really felt like it was what i do and it was such a such a good it brought a level of normalcy Into my life, the regular thing that I do, let's keep this consistent and not to change from that. Because in that three week period in the hospital, we had the really high days and the really low days, you know, where, well, if we don't get this under control, you know, and we never crossed the bridge and said, oh, you probably will die. I don't know. Maybe the doctors were saying that. Maybe they were saying that in their. But they weren't saying it to you? They weren't saying it to us. And I'm glad they weren't because. I think the medical team wants to give you hope, and so they're just doing everything that they can do to say we need to do this, and we'll if we get the hemoglobin under control, then we'll. There might have been other things going on that they were not addre- they were addressing them, but I think they put it in priority. They needed to get the hemoglobin left on top of it. So there's people that ask me this question. They say well, when did you know he was dying? And I said, the day he died. That was the real truth came to me that morning when I brought him home from the hospital. And he really was deteriorating as far as the energy level. He just had no energy. And we brought him home. They said, well, he can probably rehabilitate in a a rehabilitation center. And I said, nope, you know what, I'm I gave up I was done teaching and it was the last month of school anyway. And so they brought in a long term sub and I said, I'm gonna take care of him until he'll get better. And oh we had this (laughs) this is the other thing. My family, my kids and Dave and I were going on a trip to Ireland in the summer. And so we kept on saying this was now May and we said, Okay, we're going on our trip in July, you'll be okay by then, won't you? You know, and so it was kind of this goal of he'll be fine, he'll, you know, do all the We're going to Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we had the goal of you're going to be better, and they even told him. They said, "Well, you, every day in the hospital is like two days to get to get your energy back." So we knew that the summer months were going to be getting his energy back. And I just figured he'd pull out of this and they'd get his hemoglobin raised and he'd go back to his regular cancer treatment and everything would be great. Anyway, I brought him home from the hospital on the 19th of May, which was a Sunday afternoon. My my son and I took him about 20 minutes just to walk from the car into the the doorway of our house because he was so, so weak. And he never complained. I just did every, you know, I would say, come on, you got to eat something. You got to drink water. You got to, you know, you got to keep your energy. He, he liked orange cello So that morning I gave him some orange jello from the store with with whipped cream on it. And the other thing he liked was strawberry milkshakes. So I'd go to this restaurant that had really good strawberry milkshakes and I'd bring him that, but otherwise he had no appetite. So the day that we had to call the ambulance on on the morning of of May 21st, and just there was something about that morning. I just said, this is it. I can't I could just tell. And even the way that the ambulance guy, they were very kind and they came in and they did all the, they do all the assessment, you know, what is your name? What is your, he was coherent, but they just said, Mr. Ayers, we need to bring you in. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, you better bring me in. And I said, okay. He couldn't even, he laid in our office on a futon because he couldn't even walk the stairs up to, you know, so those, those last days he was not even in his own room but all of that there's something very calming and peaceful i don't regret that i had the last days with them in at home here oh absolutely not that that was probably a treasured a treasured time and i just said this is this is what i'm doing this is i'm here to take care of you you're going to get better and we had a beautiful time together i mean we there would sometimes he'd doze off and sleep and sometimes we watched reruns of, of some of our favorite tv shows and it was like okay we're we're getting you better anyway that day then we called the ambulance and he went in and both my daughter who lives in town and my son i have another son that lives 2 hours from here the two that were in town they came to the hospital with us. And it was pretty much a given that the, in the ER, they said, he's very, very ill. And they said, do you want us to put him on life support? And I said, oh, of course, you know, we need life support. Now, this is the kind of thing that you don't, I just look back at it and I say, all the TV shows that I've watched, what does life support mean? It means that they innovate you and you're never gonna talk to this person again. <laughs> I mean, they he's gonna be out of it. But I did not put those things together. So I was so thankful that even before they did that, we had a few minutes with them. And I said, David, they're gonna put a tube down your throat and you'll they're gonna take care of you. I said. And he was he was coherent enough and he said That's good. Yeah. And he's and he looked up at all three of us and he said, I love you so much. And I said, We love you so much. And so anyway, and then we left the room. And by this time we were the realization came that he is gonna die. And I told my daughter on the way to even to the following the ambulance to the hospital that day, I said, This is the day dad's gonna die. And she said, Mom, don't say that. And I said, Well, I just really feel like I have a piece about it. I know that's it. And I'm so glad I didn't know yesterday i'm glad i know today and so i really believe that's that's how god intended it and maybe he knew he might have known his last day but david didn't tell me that he was going to die tomorrow you know anyway so it was if you think about death this is the beauty of it when it's a peaceful
2: this episode is brought in part to you by audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment
1: time and you know that it's just the clock is ticking. I have nothing but wonderful memories of that day. I can't say wonderful in that oh this I know the what you mean day. though. but it was it's, not, it's, a, it's,
0: it's a terrible loss for your family but you can still have a beautiful moment
1: yeah Together. it really was and they put him in intensive care and so some of the rules were lifted in intensive care that day i think the nurses and the doctor knew that his levels and his all of the, his body functions were just slowing down and they even would say well we don't know how long this will be we'll do everything we can but we're seeing the trend going down the numbers going down and so they were they allowed us to have more people in the room and it was very somber but very peaceful David, his profession was he was a, a writer and arranger. He was a musician. So he would have wanted us to be musical even in that last moment. So my daughter my daughter had this just, it was almost like we knew the timing of it. She, she said, you know what, I think we should just sing. And I said, good idea. We'll just sing. And we all, there were about seven of us in the room, family and, and a few close friends. And we just stood around his bed and sang an old hymn, which is called Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and right in the, highest, in the highest part of the song where it says, God, you have been faithful to me, that's when the monitor just went beep, 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 and I said, on that last note, and that high note, and the way that he would have heard us singing if he could still hear us at that point, he was ushered into heaven. I would like to say that at that moment he changed his address from earth to heaven. Oh,
0: what a beautiful story. And I may be tearing up on this one. I know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing it with us though, Jody. I do think that his soul, I'm sure, loved that last moment of singing from the people that he loves.
1: Yeah. And that's that's how he would have wanted to do it. And even his his whole life was to live his life, to be an example, to live his life for God the Lord. And so that's the beautiful thing about death, when you know where you're going. I'm not sad about where he is. He's in eternity with his Lord. And so you, you had a peace. He had a peace, the whole family. Oh, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So that's the, the great thing. We have the hope in eternity. Now, the grieving process for me is the loss of, you know, my best friend, the one that I loved, and living my life the rest of my years without him is is what I've had to do and, and still am doing. I mean, I think the first year has been the hardest. Everybody says that, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I've tried to keep myself busy. at school keeping keeping busy with my with my work and and your family, having your family around you. Yeah, my kids have been a great support. And I it's just been they've really embraced it and you know, they're dealing with the loss of their dad too. So but they take care of me and they <laughs> they yeah. So all of that to say why did intermittent fasting it really came into my life at the right time because I I needed something to stabilize me and yet never did I think in February of that year that four months from now, you'll be saying goodbye to your husband and, and keeping up with the consistency of the fasting was just really a, I don't know, it was, a it was the right thing. It was, a com- it was a stabilizer. It really was a stabilizer. And that's the key thing that I could hopefully maybe pass on to somebody that that wonders, how can I make it through a difficult time? I would say embrace it. Just say this as your your lifestyle. If you see intermittent fasting as a yo yo diet, it's never gonna work for you. You know, well I'll do it for a while and then I'll just go off because I'm going out of town and I'm I'm just not gonna I don't know. I think the consistency. Yeah, I totally get
0: what you're saying, just because We tend to to do that. You know, I think of all the yo-yo diets I did. I was on it. I was off it. I was on it. I was off it. And even intermittent fasting was like that for me from 2009 to 2014. And, you know, I can remember my son had appendicitis. He was in sixth grade. It, It was, you know, he was in the hospital for 10 days, which is really nothing. You know, it was a tiny little blip and he was fine, but he had to have a couple surgeries. But I turned to food during that time. I just ate my way through it. And you know,
1: you think it's making you feel better, but it, it wasn't. It's called stress eating, where you right. just, you this, you see the circumstances around you and you say, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to get off the wagon because I can't stick to that, which is another thing when I, in Delay Don't Deny, I think that the, the one chapter that stands out, and I, correct me if I'm wrong in the title, but... Did you? It was one of the chapters, Saturday only comes... Yeah, Saturday Saturday is not a special occasion because it happens every week,
0: right? (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) I embraced that statement because I thought, oh, I'm facing the weekend. Oh, I'll just not do anything on Saturday. I'll have all my meals with my family or, you know, we're out of town, so I'm going to eat. And I never, I kept that mindset. I just said, no, Saturday still is here. Maybe I'll open my window a little earlier or have a lunchtime window. But I think the consistency is I think the key. So too. And I don't
0: know if it's just because of teachers at your school. Do you find that Friday just has like that celebratory feeling every week? Like we were allowed to wear jeans on Friday, which might sound super stupid to people that can wear je- whatever they want any day. Yeah, but
1: <laughs> we do that. Ours is ours is called First Friday. So that was the day you wear. It's the first Friday of the month. We have a special breakfast for the teachers, and then we get to wear our jeans and our our apparel. You know, it's right. our sweatshirt or whatever the school logo on it. So So the whole day just felt like a
0: celebration and it was Friday and then you're like, woo, and then it was Saturday. You know, I don't know. It was just always a very exciting, the weekends always had that special occasion feel. So having to shift that with food was a big one for me when I got out of the, hey, it's Saturday, let's party. You know, no,
1: (laughs) it happens every week. Well, and you know how you always ask, and maybe I'll segue into this, but you always ask, what would you tell other people? What would you tell people that are they're starting intermittent fasting? And I think the number one thing I would say is you have to make it a lifestyle. Because I have seen people come and go. I've seen them say, I'm doing this for a while. And then they, you know, admit to me later on, oh, I <laughs> kind of went off the wagon because I was, you know, I said, well, you got to be consistent. Or I'm okay all week long. I'm really good all week long. And then every weekend I go off. You know, I said, you can't do that. You got to see it as as a lifestyle. And if you don't see it that way, then it isn't just another Yo yo dieting approach. Exactly. And we really don't want it, we don't want it to be that way for
0: people because, you know, I've, I've started saying since I wrote Don't Deny that this is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. But I really want to encourage people to come to intermittent fasting. Yes, hopefully you will lose the weight you want to lose and feel better in your body. But it's going to do so many more things for you than just your weight. It's really just such a healthy way to live.
1: Yeah. For me, the health benefits are, you know, just totally energy. That afternoon slump of, oh, I'm so tired, wanting to go to bed at 7 o'clock at night because I'm just exhausted after a day. I don't have that anymore.
0: I would come home from work and take a nap, like before, before intermittent fasting. I would come home and I would have an afternoon nap before I could even face, you know, what I was going to feed my family.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that I have at least, I have 16 hours where I wake up about five in the morning. I am about a 16 hours of total energy all day long. (laughs) It's true. It's
0: the best. It really is the best. And eating is is enjoyable. It could be, you know, almost recreational. It's something that, that is pleasurable. But You can do that later in the day. We're delaying. We're going to do that. You're going to have that pleasure from eating. You know, look forward to it. That's what I do. I look forward to that period of time. And it has become more special than just like time to eat.
1: Yep. I think I I don't think that I... I focus too much on the food, but starting at about three o'clock when I'm starting to get hungry, then I'm just like, oh, what can I have for dinner tonight? I'm just I almost get excited. Like, what can I? And I don't really cook much for myself. I pretty much do takeout or have um, my daughter and her husband. They will have a couple meals a week with me, and so then we maybe I'll cook a meal if the kids are coming over for dinner. But otherwise, I'm not going to cook for myself. That doesn't work because <laughs> I don't have I don't have the energy or really want to. So. I'd say what I'm really focusing on, and I really enjoyed reading your book, Feast Without Fear, because I wanna eat, I wanna eat the better real foods and eating what my body craves. I totally don't want sugar anymore. I don't like the artificial sweeteners anymore. I can't stand Diet Coke like I used to. So I know my taste buds have changed, and I think that I just want good nutritious food. Yeah,
0: it makes such a difference, you know, thinking about Vegetables in an all new way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, and it's a discipline too. Sometimes when I am hungry at five o'clock and I say, "Oh, well, my window's open," I gravitate to, "Well, let me just eat this bag of chips," you know, which is bad. I'm more of a salty person, so I'll <laughs> me too. I'll I'm a salty the, person. <laughs> yeah, eat the popcorn or the chips, and and then when it does come time for the meal, then I just don't eat as much because I've kind of filled up on that. So I'm trying to be disciplined in that, but. I think that, you know, just exactly what you said. If if I feel like that my health is improving and the way that I can measure it and see this as a lifestyle, then the long-term benefit of it is it continues to be a long-term approach Absolutely. to, to you, know, it, I, you know,
0: I've seen people who haven't had the weight loss and they're like, I'm about to give up. And I'm like, well, please don't give up because this is doing so much more for you then you probably realize. So that would be my encouraging word to people. Don't give up. You know, the body is complicated. Weight loss is complicated. Intermittent fasting is not necessarily going to just be all you need to do to, to find the weight loss you're looking for. You may need to tweak your foods. You may need to heal your gut. But
1: it's doing so many good things for you. I just would say don't give up. Right. I'll never, ever change. I will do this the rest of my life, and I'm – So I'm so grateful that not that you invented it, but you certainly are giving us a platform to read your book and tell other people about it and get the word out that this is what you can do. You, you know, you get it. You're a teacher. So that that's what I am. I'll be happy to be
0: the world's intermittent fasting teacher to teach you about it. You know, I'm not the one who did the scientific research. I'm not the one who invented it, like you said. <laughs> but teachers, we teach. You know, everything we do, we teach. When I started baking homemade bread, I made a blog post about it because I want to teach people how to do what I do. So that's really, you know, that's who I am. I'm the world's teacher. <laughs> And so, Jody, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. And thank you for sharing your story so bravely because that was such a such a difficult thing to go through. And I'm so grateful to hear that intermittent fasting helped you in a small way, helped you go through it.
1: Yep, I really think that it's helped even in the grieving process. You know, the every month, every holiday is a new experience because my kids don't have their dad here and I don't have my husband here. But I think that just keeping the lifestyle, I just say, well, this is—it's really helped me in that. I think I'm a stable person, you know, as far as emotionally anyway. So I'm thankful that that wasn't, you know, I didn't take a a big nosedive with depression or anything. I just was like, well, this is this is what I do. I I think that it really has definitely, keeping it a lifestyle has definitely helped in that whole grieving process as well. Well, Jody, thank
0: you so much. And our, our time is up and I look forward to seeing more from you
1: over time. Okay. Thanks, Jen. It was great.
0: Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup.